Hi, this is Dr. Tom Pritchard, head coach at JPWA, the Jacobs Pritchard Wrestling Academy. And if you want to save money, go to SaveWithConrad.com. Well, I kept watching the podcast and I kept seeing the commercials. You can't help but see the commercials during the podcast. And I figured, Conrad, who else better? So we gave it a shot and found out we were right. We were looking to refinance our mortgage. Everybody has a lot of bills these days, and we thought we could probably do better with the percentage rate. Everybody was great to work with. It was a matter of just filling in the right numbers uh, in the right place, and everybody told us how to do that and what we needed. And within the next three weeks, we, we were refinanced. We are saving now over $100 a month. So that's probably over a 25-year span uh, $25,000, which adds up, was so simple and they made me feel uh, a lot less nervous and more comfortable when I'm talking to someone because I don't always understand financial aspects of anything, but it was great working with the team, uh, everyone from uh, top to bottom, start to finish. If we had questions, no matter how complicated, everyone made sure to explain it to its fullest, to our satisfaction, to where we understood, my wife and I understood the process, understood where we needed to start and where we were gonna end up. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Foley is Pod, and of course we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer himself, the hardcore legend, Mr. Mick Foley. Mick, how are you, man? Pretty good. And sporting the Phantom Balls. Phantom Balls t-shirt. And Mr. Danucci would be proud because as we all know, he used to say to you. You've got a ball uh, this big. Do we need to re- a refresher on why, on the fu- the origin of Phantom Balls? Let's do it. I was talking about Shawn Michaels at his, you know, really peak as a heel. This is when it was Triple H and Shawn as DX and with China, China. with China. And uh, Shawn Michaels was so animated, like, you know, when someone's, (laughs) you suck used to be the biggest insult you could hurl at anybody. And now we were in a more accepting society. People, yeah, matter of fact, I do. And I take pride in it. You know, I remember Pat Patterson, uh, for example, you know, um, hooking up with a young lady, uh, which was not his preference. And when one of the guys said, uh, so how was she? Pat was like, I could teach her a thing or two. (laughs) But so if you're yelling at that time, it's a different age, different time where still you suck is the greatest insult. So Shawn Michaels would take that three steps further and actually he would then pantomime. He, he would pantomime like you know rubbing the phantom shaft at, while simultaneously tickling the phantom balls and be like point to the guy as if to say that's you you know so and it was understood quickly that this is the ultimate insult and you're defenseless as a fan it's like he just tickled the phantom balls. Like, yeah. what am I, I mean, going to do? You can't up the ante anymore. It sounds like. Uh, Maybe this week on Oswald Treasures, you could hunt down the phantom balls. Tickle the phantom white balls. Tickle the, the phantom white balls. Tickle, 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 tickle. Tickle the phantom white balls. What are we doing? I don't even really know. But I know this past Sunday, I got to see you hanging out in my buddy's house in Vermont. 
on the sacred land there where he had Roddy Piper's old jacket. Yeah. And, uh, of course, by now you all know what happened. If you don't already, check it out. Do you know where you're going this week? I don't know which episode uh, it will be this week, but uh, Roddy, that was one of my favorites to uh, connect with Drew McIntyre yeah. on the road. And Drew's got, you know, obviously the Scottish, herit- Scottish heritage, looking for Roddy's, uh, the original bagpipes. And it was, a, it was a fun episode. I had not met Roddy's uh, daughter, Teal, up to that point. Uh, and she's married to a wrestler, Thanos, I believe. Thanos? Thanos. Um, and they were really great, and we've kept in touch since then, connected at one of the signings I've done. So it was really an honor to be able to talk about Roddy with Teal and to see some of these things that she had. And like she said, like she can't give them or even sell them because they're the only thing she has of her dad's. And she shed light on the reason Roddy wore the leather jacket to uh, the ring, and that is because he'd been stabbed three times. So that was almost like the hallmark of a good heel, that they had a stabbing story. I remember Terry Funk being in Corpus Christi in 1990 Cutting kind of like a promo on me. Oh, this is the building I was stabbed in and whatever, 77. I go, did you press charges? And he looked at me and goes, what did you say? I said, did you press charges? And he looked he in close to my face. How could I do that? Why would I press charges against someone who is paying me the ultimate compliment? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the fans out there, it is no longer the ultimate compliment no. to stab a wrestler. Please don't. Please don't. I was stabbed with an umbrella in Guam. That's about as close as I got. An umbrella? An umbrella. An older woman, boom, right into the you know that uh, kidney area. But uh, uh, there was another incident with Terry Funk where uh, Terry uh, is is receiving an award at a lucha show in Chicago. Like uh, you know, it's sold out and it's you know almost exclusively a, a Hispanic audience. And Terry's doing an interview. He's you know they hand him this trophy and he goes, "Oh, this is so nice. Uh, I really appreciate this, even though it would not mean as much if it was coming from an American promotion." Uh, even though Mexican wrestlers are gutless. <laughs> just, oh my God. He's just building this hysteria to where a wild melee breaks out, you know, and we're trying to rescue people. You know, we're trying to come back, we're trying to get out there and people are hitting the ring, like hitting the locker room. And we're literally throwing people out of the locker room who are trying to get in, they're so enraged. And we lock the door and we go, whew, whew. I look at Sabu and I was like, Where's Terry? <laughs> He's still out there. And we walk out there. And he wasn't having the time of his life. <laughs> he's he's perched on a guardrail like it's a horse. And he's got a either a chain or like a, a rope with the cowbell on the end of it. And it's like it's all just part of the party for Terry. Like it's just part of being a heel. And we grabbed him and rescued him out of there. <laughs> it's just the idea that. This is something he not only accepts, but looks forward to and likes and thrives on. And just uh, to get that heat, you know, that real, you know, not talking like wearing a outfit and, you know, or a silly outfit right. and get booed, but people literally wanting to kill him. God bless Terry Funk. Oh, he's the best. As a friend of mine says on Twitter, I hope Mr. Funk has a great weekend. So do I. Uh, and we're going to get the weekend started with Folius Pod today. We'll be talking about One Night Stand 2006 and, and the relaunch of ECW. But before we do, 
We sort of glossed over the fact last week. 2006, oh yeah, that's the relaunch. It was the second one night stand. Yes. Right? Uh, and that somehow makes sense in wrestling, it was the second one night stand. Uh, well, who hasn't had two one night stands? <laughs> and also, Terry factors into this. Before we talk about that, we should talk about your pal, who is now the world heavyweight wrestling yeah. champion of WWE. He's got the new big gold belt. He is, as you proclaimed him on Instagram sometime last week, your MVP of WWE, Mr. Seth Rollins. How about it? We got a new belt. We got a new champ. And he has been on a tear, I think, starting with Cody at last year's mm-hmm. WrestleMania. And he's just gotten better and better and better. He's got that character dialed in. He's been one of the best wrestlers in the world for yeah. at least 10 years. But we'd come to take him for granted. Yes. I think we had really come to take him for granted. A phenomenal worker. Uh, I think last year I said that Moxley was my, you know, I think it was like Moxley um, uh, will uh, help me out here. Will Will from the UK? Oh, Osprey. Osprey. I knew it was a, a bird of prey, uh, and it wasn't. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it wasn't Will, Will Hawk or <laughs> Will Eagle. By the way, Will Hawk and Will Eagle, those are great gimmicks, and names. they're still out. There. <laughs> they're still available for somebody, you know. Still out there. So Osprey and. Uh, I don't even know if uh, um, Seth was in my top five, but this attention to character, which has been a slow build, because I remember there were people thinking it was the most embarrassing thing in wrestling, you know, that this Seth Rollins thing, and I was like, he's on to something, and he's trying, he's sinking his teeth into it, and it was just so much fun to see him evolve and just take to it where he reminds me of Edge at the peak of Edge's character prowess, where he just he just bit into everything he did with gusto. I did a little uh, article about Edge when he retired, we all thought for good, and I said he embraced the ridiculous. You know, that was, so it didn't matter how silly it was, he was gonna make the very most out of it. And in the beginning, the, Seth Roll- the new Seth Rollins seemed to be a little silly. And he just kept going with it, believing in it, to where now the crowd, obviously, I don't watch wrestling nearly as much as I used to, but I watch it enough to know that this guy is at a point where it's a perfect marriage of in-ring talent and uh, in character. So uh, really a great uh, belt for him. And I think it's important that the title not go to, to- Cody, because I think what Cody's going through in this uh series of Brock Lesnar is giving him the, you know, the, the credentials. The story to overcome. Yeah, so yeah. that when he does, and I think there will definitely be a moment where he becomes that guy, everyone will feel, feel like he deserves it. Well, I can't wait to see just uh, what's next for WWE, the evolution of the Bloodline storyline, yeah. and what's new with this new big gold belt that I guess is going to be on all the live events, and Cody, There's just, it's a great time to be a wrestling fan, and of course, uh, as folks are listening to this, next weekend is the new AEW show, Collision, and then uh, they got the big New Japan show and the big Wembley show. It feels like wrestling is on a big upswing right it now. Does, Do doesn't agree? it? Hey, yeah. all I know, what I'm seeing of it is the conventions. Yes. And, um, man, I'm so grateful. You know, for the fans, I'm grateful that I have <clears throat> these pops that people seemingly have an insatiable appetite for. But you can just see it, you know. My my, you know, my uh, 
<laughs> careers kind of ebbed and flowed, even though I've been the same guy. And you go from being uh, thought of as being washed up one year, and then the next year you realize people are dressing up like you for Halloween, and that they are now p adults passing down what you've done, the Attitude Era stuff, to a new generation. So you have a lot of kids out there who love the Attitude Era, who watch it with their parents and then also watch the current product. Do you think, I mean, I appreciate your perspective, obviously, uh, but that whole my career has ebbed and flowed stuff, I think that's in your head. No, because I know what it was like to be out there at a convention for three solid days and come home with almost nothing. So you're someone that people, oh, hey, how you doing? They're still happy to see you, but not happy enough to come over to the table and make a purchase. Um, but that's probably more cyclical with wrestling and the economy more so than... No, I I definitely see an ebb and flow. And I saw, like, when I uh, went to TNA, that there were a lot of people, you know, who uh, it wasn't the fit they wanted. It happened to be when I got onto uh, social media. And relevant was the big term. Like, trying to be relevant, trying to be relevant. And, uh, like... Oh, that's the accusation. The accusation, me. trying to be relevant. And, I mean, that kind of stings a little bit, sure. you know? And especially when you find out that some of the people who are being the toughest on you are people who you went out of your way to be nice to when they were fans. And so at that time, I'd be like, what is it I did to you? Like, hey, uh, no, I met you and you were really cool. But I was like, doesn't that kind of give me a pass, like, for life? Bucky Dent signed an autograph for me when I was... 10 years old, and that's all I remembered when I met him right. years later was he signed his autograph. Same thing with a few of the Yankees, other Yankees, Orioles players. Like, this guy went out of his way to be nice to me. I don't care if he's now hitting 190. He's still over with me. And so the relevancy thing was a big deal. I'd say... Uh, um, is it a herd mentality, you think? I think it is a little yeah. bit. Um I remember doing the uh, the Wing Bowl in Philadelphia, where yeah, it's a they big had deal. a big deal, and I realized early in that you couldn't contend with forty wings. Like the woman next to me had won it the year before, like four hundred and sixty, oh. and these are like rubbery room temperature wings. I couldn't eat wings for two years after that, and I said, uh, Tommy Avalone, who directed I Am Santa Claus, he was one of the cameramen, and he looked at me and said, "Are you okay?" I said, "I got to get out of here." said, what do you want to do? I said, catch me cheating. And so he catches me cheating, and then he comes back a minute later. He goes, they didn't take the shot. Can you do it again? So you can actually see me looking up at the big scoreboard. To see if you're there. And when I see that I'm on the thing, I do the old uh, Baron Cicluna going for the, uh, the illegal object, much as I did with Mr. Sacco, which is a tribute to Baron Cicluna. You have to go up and down. So that I had the fanny pack, and I'm looking around, and I'm taking the wings. I'm not going on the ridiculous arc, but I'm not just putting them in the fanny pack. I'm going <laughs> with a little circular motion. <laughs> I had about four wings in my pouch when they catch me, and then I acted outraged. What? what? You threw the little fit. And then I walk over. I'm just so glad I didn't throw up on uh, live TV because they would have shown it for decades after that. And I sit down and my uh, my phone buzzes and I see it's TMZ. And my first thought was, I think I'm still relevant. So I racked up more attention for that little stunt than all but like maybe five people in WWE were capable of getting. Wow. And I thought, okay, okay. And I had to believe in myself. This is at a time, Conrad, where I was, really, I was reeling from the head injuries. 
You know, uh, I was having big problems with my memory. Um, I was, you know, I was really struggling and uh, didn't believe in myself. And like I said, I'd come back from some appearances. Trying to do the one-man show was almost impossible because no one wanted to come out and see an unknown. They would come out to a signing, not, not along the lines they are now, but they would support me. But this was like, what? He's going to tell stories. And as you might know, you know, I did try to do traditional stand-up before I realized that I was running away from the thing that made me stand out, which was I had the coolest real job of anybody. There's a lot of comics that come out and they talk about their real job. Right. And Brendan Burns like, mate, he goes, you've got the greatest real job in the mall and you won't talk about it. And once I, uh, there was a breakthrough for me. I know we're jumping subjects. No, I love but this. Going to do the improv in Los Angeles. And I knew DDP was going to be in the crowd. And I'd only told the cookie story once. And that was when I was speaking to a college. And during the Q&A, someone said, can you tell the cookie story? And so I got some laughs. But I knew that there was a difference between the written page and the stage. Yes. And I spent the five and a half hours just completely rewriting that story for the stage. And when I felt it coming together, and I could also, I was also self-editing, realizing, wait, this is going to be too long. I don't need this there. I went out there, and to me, it was the difference. If I told you my Willie Nelson story, no. I'm gonna get, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting the flash right here. I never cease to get emotional when I tell you this, when I talk about this story, because I was, uh, given a chance to see a lot of acts at the uh, Westbury Music Fair on Long Island. A uh, good guy named Carl, who's friends with some people in WWE, he was the head of security. So my wife and I would have a chance not only to see shows, but to meet a lot of the people who came in. And a lot of times you're seeing artists who'd plateaued and seem to be going through the motions. Yeah. Even if they're doing a note-for-note -note rendition of uh, uh, Eddie Money's guitarist doing a note-for-note -note, uh, rendition, it doesn't feel, the emotion doesn't feel like it's there. Uh, I've got a photo backstage uh, with the Go-Go's and Belinda Carlisle literally looks like she'd be like to be anywhere but next to me in that photo. Uh, and then I saw Willie Nelson in the same venue, and within 20 seconds, I thought to my, maybe a minute, I thought, there's no place this guy would rather be right now than right here entertaining fans. And he was doing the, the, the hits, but he was also going off on jams. And it was the difference between retelling the same old stories and giving people a great live experience. And that was the night where I felt like I was no longer just the guy doing the note-by-note -note renditions and the guy jamming. And so if people, when I felt that coming together and got the reactions it did, I was like, I know how to do this. Yes. Like, I just ha I have to work on these stories, work on it. And uh, that was one of those light-flipping uh, uh, moments for me. And even though I still struggled with the attendance for a while, the word started getting around, okay, he is talking wrestling, these are good shows, he's not just going out there and phoning it in, he's not using it as an excuse to get to the merchandise table, and that's. And then I started having real comics come out, and they started talking with each other and going, this guy really works hard. Yeah. Because they'd seen the celebrities come in and, you phone know, it yeah, phone it in. And so I love it. For me, and you've you've seen five different shows. Yeah, I think they're yeah. all different. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll be gearing up for I think one final tour in 2025 to celebrate my 40th year in the business. 
Uh, and I'm just uh, looking forward to telling some unique stories, maybe some things I never even wrote about that I was shy about saying, and I uh, look forward to having a great time. I, I do want to ask about when you thought your career was sort of ebbing and flowing, and now you feel like there's a resurgence and you see more families who are kids who are watching you know, the Attitude Era and all that. I wonder, and I know we're trying to just armchair quarterback this now, nine years ago the WWE Network launched. Yeah. Do you think that's what changed? I do. Yeah. I think it's part of it. Listen, when I joined WWE, they were infamous for never acknowledging someone's past. Right. And so we're kind of, we're losing our roots. Right. Uh, I think when they started acknowledging the people who had uh, shaped the company and paved the way for others, that it really opened up avenues for guys like Jake Roberts and yes. Jim Duggan are still doing better than all but a handful of the current guys when yeah. it comes to these things. And I'm so lucky that I was in that, you know, near the top of the wave, not right at the top like Austin and Rock, but right near the top. And that especially, I think, with the way Mankind, the latter-day Mankind resonated with fans who didn't feel like they fit in. Yes. Um, I'm seeing, yeah, a major renaissance between the network, the YouTube, uh, the video games, uh, the, the the projects like Most Wanted Treasures where we pay tribute to the history. It's really been gratifying. I think I mentioned this once before, but Vince McMahon told me in 2000 that I'd be able to make a living out of what I've done for the next 10 years. I thought he was crazy, because right. I thought I've got about 18 months to take advantage of this. And here we are 23 years later, he and, right. and he was right. So thank you, Vince, and thank you to mostly you know, the fans, because they've got a lot of choices out there, yep. whether it's cameos, whether it's, uh, you know, this you go podcast, to this anyway. podcast, there's a lot of podcasts yeah. and a lot of good podcasts, and most people only have time for two or three. And I'm getting more and more people coming up to me at cons going, I listen to your show, the podcast on the way to work. And that seems to be the favorite thing to do, yeah. that it makes the drive shorter, yeah. makes life a little easier. And that's, you know, kind of what wrestling's all about, taking your mind off your problems for a little while. Well, and let's let uh, Dad have a rest from some of his problems. Get him a cameo from Mick Foley. Yeah. Some time for Father's Day and see where you can see Mick in your neck of the woods at realmickfoley.com. Today our topic is uh, the 2006 One Night Stand. We're coming off your epic match with Edge at WrestleMania, which we'll cover in depth in the future. This is also during the time when you're writing the Hardcore Diaries. Uh, do you have the support <laughs> of WWE to write this book? Yeah, because it was their idea. Okay. How does it come to be? I actually went to Vince. You know, I'd had the 1999 book that did really well, the 2001 uh, book. And I start getting an itch to write another wrestling book. And I wanted to call it Maniac with the key on mania, a WrestleMania, inside the mind of Vince McMahon. And I wanted to follow Vince, like be a fly in the wall for like the six weeks leading up to mania. And I gave him that idea, and he just thought, he was Mick, why don't you write your own book? And I was like, but I have to. And he goes, I think people would be interested to hear what you have to say. So it was Vince dismissing my original idea, which I still think would have made a heck of a book. But I like the idea of going behind the scenes and bringing people into the moment. And no one had written anything like that before. I got some of my inspiration from two sports books, one called 48 Minutes, which was literally a book about one seemingly meaningless NBA game between the Celtics and the Cavaliers, written by, I think, Bob Ryan uh, or Robert Ryan, same, uh, but he's a, <clears throat> a New England reporter. 
and the other one by uh, Buzz Bissinger called Three Nights in August, about a three-game series between the Cardinals and can't remember the team. And I love the way that they bring you in and through the minutiae, like the everyday stuff, or yes. even, you know, of the one game, it you get a better understanding by covering that short period of time than you would if you try to do a major arc. It somehow feels more epic. Yeah. 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 And so I just started writing and I, you know, I started when my hopes for that match at one night stand were way up here. Uh, I no longer just had Vince's ear. That I used to be able to say, call up, say, I've got an idea, kind of come in and pitch it to you. And I'd be there the next day with either Vince and JR or Vince and John Laurinaitis. I want to ask you about that because yeah. I think you pitch in April of 2006 in Stanford and you write, I was summoned into the booking meeting and immediately seated next to Vince, who I surmised wanted to be the first to sample the nuggets of wisdom that were sure to spew <laughs> from my mouth. Seated around the table were Dusty Rhodes, Greg Gagne, uh, Michael Hayes, Ed Kosky, Stephanie McMahon, David Lagana, and Brian Gewertz. This is the murderer's row of writers. My goodness. Yeah. And I so it's so now it's not just Vince, it's pitching it to the booking committee. Including Dusty Rhodes. Including Dusty. And I kind of set up this idea uh, for a heel turn following the success I'd had with uh, the Edge match. Yeah. I can't, I honestly, April 6th would have been after Mania. Yes. So Edge and I had torn it down. And I, and now, in retrospect, if I was going to turn heel, so I'm going to turn heel one time after a long run as a babyface, I should have done it with a Batista or somebody like that. Right. But I had this vision for a story involving me and Edge combining forces against Tommy Dreamer and Terry Funk. Tommy at that time was being utilized very little. And Terry uh, hadn't been in the company for a while, a long time. And I laid it out and I said, this whole angle uh, is balanced on whether or not we can convince fans that Terry Funk is out of his mind in five weeks. And Dusty goes, that ought to be easy because Terry Funk is out of his mind. It gets a big pop. And by the end of that meeting, I had my angle. And I also had the approval of WWE to be writing about it. And I feel so fortunate, like as a, an author, that everything did go south on me. Uh, I think it makes for a better book. Uh, it's the only negative book published by WWE about WWE. Right. But it was really, really a frustrating process, which we'll get into uh, you know, momentarily. Well, I think we should mention something you wrote about, and I think in hindsight it rings really true. In 2005, the original One Night Stand was all about nostalgia. Yeah. That's not going to work in a six. We've got to have right. real stories and rivalries and all that. But we know that it's going to be a part of this ECW presentation. Yeah. And I listed all the people who were in that room, from Vince and Stephanie and Lagana and Brian and Hayes and Ganya. No Heyman. Was that odd to you? That Heyman's yeah, not involved It was in that? odd because the year before, it had been my first time as a commentator, and I did it with Joey Styles, and Paul was in my ear, and he was so easy to work with, really bringing out, making me feel comfortable in a way that, Vince does not at all. Right. And uh, I, I, I have never listened to the One Night Stand in its entirety, but I was under the impression. You did a great job. I did it. Oh, thank you. I did a, and I remember if I have one good line uh, in there, memorable one, is when Sandman came out and I said about the fans, they believe because he believes. Yes. And then Paul got in my ear and said, and now I believe too. And I said, now I believe too. 
And that was really cool when everything's coming together. And you got Joey, who was a good friend of mine, still is. Um, and that was a good experience. But you're right. They did good numbers based on the nostalgia. Yeah. But the big challenge is, what do you have for me now? Right. And I think, I don't want to jump forward too much, but I'm afraid I won't hit this point, is at the end of the day, uh, One Night Stand Part 2 did almost as well as the first year. And then the third year, with eight months of ECW TV, it pooped the bed, as Vince McMahon said. Uh, it did absolutely abysmal numbers. And so I take a lot of pride in constructing what I thought was a really good storyline. Even though I think the main event was technically, uh, was it Cena and RVD that night? Yes. Uh, and they did a great job. And Rob's love for ECW rings so true and is obviously a big reason that show is successful. But I don't think people were ordering it just for that match. And I thought that our rivalry that we created, even though it hit several bumps along the way, uh, was a big part of the reason that show did well. Well, let's um, let's talk about how we we get here. Uh, you, you write, Vince. I want to become the first ever voluntary <laughs> member of the Vince McMahon Kiss My Ass Club. My goodness, uh, not a lot of people <laughs> have probably said, "Hey, Vince, would you mind if I literally kissed your ass?" I mean, I'm sure he's, he's had tens of thousands. You know, yeah. metaphorically kisses ass. <laughs> but I think you've got to be the first voluntary. Uh, he really perked up in a hurry. <laughs> I, I think we'd like to find a way for that to happen. Round, pal? <laughs> right now. And I think, you know, I think what it was was we agreed to put it off so that I could, once we saw, uh, I, I can't remember now whether we said, let's do that, but let's do that leading up to the match with Rick, or as it turned out, I did it the night after uh, Rick, uh, in a way that I thought would really be taken advantage of, and I thought would give a nice uh, push to Morrison and Melina, who, uh, uh, you know, I thought John was on the cusp of becoming a big star, and I thought she had that real star quality that I don't think WWE ever really fully took advantage of. Uh, but things didn't, you know, we'll go, we'll proceed in order. But let's just say things did not turn out like I'd hoped in that respect. Um, we eventually get to a spot where you return to TV with Edge and Lita hosting the Cutting Edge segment, and you're their special guest. And uh, Wade would say this in the torch. Foley called their match one of the greatest hardcore matches in wrestling history. Foley said Edge might have won, but Edge left a piece of himself in the ring after their battle. And Foley claimed Edge never wanted to revisit that type of match again, whereas he wanted to go through that hell again, and he challenged Ed to Edge to a match. Edge said no to this week, but yes to next week, and gave Foley the opportunity to pick the type of match. And Foley said he would bring out all kinds of razor and barbed wire. So I'm liking the build here. Did you think there was ever going to be an opportunity that you might ever achieve, because you've talked about it for a while. Did you ever think there would be a barbed wire, like, on television match with WWE? Well, we did end up using the real stuff there in that... Uh, um, on the pay-per-views. On the pay-per-view, yeah. I don't know. I never really differentiated. I wouldn't really care that if it was on Raw or not. I wanted to be able to use the toys in that match. And I did get together with Edge. I was like, Edge, if 
both of us refer to it as the greatest hardcore match of all time, within three weeks, people are going to blow. That's, you know, that's just the way things are. Yes. You know, you, yeah, for better or worse, it's what politicians do is just yes. keep repeating the same thing until it becomes popular belief, no matter how. Muhammad Ali used to do it. He used oh, to call I, himself the greatest. Oh, yeah. Everybody else did. Until he admitted. Everybody, I didn't believe it, but I said it enough. And he admitted yeah. he got a lot of his stuff from Gorgeous George. Yes. Which is beautiful. Yes. It's beautiful for someone to, at that point in his career, to admit, yeah, I got, I got my stuff from wrestling. Yeah. Um, so people did. It, I think it was a really good match. I thought it was a great match that Edge yes. and I had. Yes. And certainly good enough that we weren't stretching credulity. Is that the word? Yes. Uh, pretty good by the New York Times. No one best-selling author. Uh, I didn't think we were stretching credulity by, by referring to it as such. And now we have the setup for what I believe we're going to talk to is uh, the turn that really nobody yes. saw coming. Before we get there, the other turn that happened, that same episode of Raw, is where Joey Styles would do a quote-unquote shoot promo and quit. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're trying to do that to set up the ECW thing. I thought Joey did a great job as a WWE commentator. Um, I know that people were still longing for JR, and I totally get that. But I thought Joey more than held his own. What did you think? I thought Joey was better before they messed with his head. Yes. Honestly. I thought uh, they, they're trying to take away the things that make Joey Joey. Joey, Joey. And one of them is you, you can't. This is, I think, uh, as we follow the NBA Finals, uh, players talk about how they had the ability to make mistakes. And you always play better when you're playing to win instead of playing not to lose. That's right. And when they get in your head, make you clear that, yeah, we brought you in, but we want to change the things about you that you were most certain of. And now you have Mr. McMahon in your head. It can really, it can really be a difficult existence on an announcer, and I'm sure JR has spoken to that, even being the very best in the business. You know, they tried to break him down and remake him. Let's talk about uh, the next week in Anaheim. You and Vince have a meeting during the day, and I think this is where the whole kiss my ass segment is canceled. Yeah. Um, you wrote, apparently Terry Funk taking a chunk out of Vince's ass would intrude on Sean and Triple H's <laughs> sole dominion over Vince's ass or any other body. Yeah, I think what it was is I wanted Vince to try to make Terry kiss his ass. And then Terry was going to sink his teeth into that butt cheek, you know, and he, like he was a you know, rambunctious puppy with a chew-toe. And... Uh, I think it eventually did get done by Cornswoggle or, you know, it was watered yes. down. But, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, yeah, that was DX territory, I think. Is that what I said in the book? Yes. Okay. I was a little envious. This is of, the relaunch of DX. I was a little envious of DX, so I'm going to be honest, and the attention they got. I was. It is what it is. Um you wrote in your book, no chunk out of Vince's ass meant no instant star making, which meant no marketable match, which meant watered down pay-per-view, which meant reduced buy rates, which meant crappy payoff, <laughs> which meant why the hell am I even here? Yeah. I love that you wrote this and WWE published they it. They let me do it. They let me do it. And I think uh, the biggest one they let me go with was where I was talking about the Dr. Heine segment. Yes. Where JR had just had a real life operation, you yes. know, uh, remove a blockage. And Vince was pulling football helmets. <laughs> and, and a paper mache, his own head out of his own ass. 
and I was and I wrote about looking down at my shoes instead of the TV, going, "What type of man do I work for?" And uh, they went to uh, WWE. Legal did. They had Vince read it, and Vince's reaction went, <laughs> "He's wrong. It was funny, but if that's the way he feels, let him print it." And so I liked that about Vince. You know, I, I was told after the book was published there would be no other. That's the end of that. <laughs> that's the end of the negative WWE books. But, you know, as we will get into detail on, the whole thing spiraling as I was writing it led to really, I mean, that's, that's a book that did fairly well. Would have done better if they'd pushed it longer. But it did peak at number seven on the New York Times chart at a time when it was more and more difficult yeah. to get on the Times chart. Well, because wrestling had cooled a little bit. Yeah, and the whole phenomenon of the books was yes. now eight years old, and right. there had been some good the ones, some bad ones. Off. Yeah, and it, I, I wanted to talk about you know because you've you've addressed here before on the show about how wrestling will break your heart. Yeah, and it's going to happen over and over and over. And I just think it's fascinating because I think a lot of people who are listening to this who are probably trying to make it in wrestling and have ambitions of making it in wrestling. They probably take a look at a guy like you and think, yeah, but bio six, you've enjoyed all of the success. You've been the world champ. You've had a chef boy RD commercial. You're the number one bestseller, blah, blah, blah. And you're still getting your heart broke, but that's just huh. part of the deal. Is it not? Otherwise, if you just content uh, with being okay, you're no longer who you were. You're not going to be very good. And I, I know, um, I think Dave Meltzer pointed out that fans will sometimes get on Brett for taking certain things very seriously. He goes, what they don't realize is if that's not the way Brett was. He wouldn't have been he, Brett. He wouldn't have been Brett. That's right. And if I didn't take the stuff as seriously as I did and just was willing to shrug my shoulders and let something stink, uh, without putting up the best fight I could, that I there's no way I would have been who I was, you know. Um, damn, one of my biggest uh, regrets in my life is that I did not let it all hang out at Mania with The Rock as my yeah. partner, that I played it safe and chose not to suck, which is like somebody putting up a, a buzzer beater from the three point range and hoping it hits the rim. Yeah. You know, like he, he, that was my bit, and that was my inspiration behind coming out the next month and trying to tear down the house with Randy Orton. But yeah, I did take this stuff seriously, and I did put my heart and soul into the storytelling. It was my story. I'd had a lot of success um, in 2004 with the 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 Evolution buildup and the Randy Orton buildup. I thought Edge and I had done a really good job a couple months earlier, and I really wanted this to be something special. And uh, just to show you, um, I think you're probably going to talk to me about this. The first time that Terry came out and was on TV, instead of taking the chunk out of his butt, where uh, Terry came out, we had a little bit of a schmoz, and Terry's knee gave out on him on the ramp. And Vince saw that and wrote the whole angle off because he didn't think Terry Funk could go anymore. And so there's this phone call I get where uh, um, Brian Gewirtz says to me, uh, yeah, I talked to Vince and he thinks it's the shits. And I thought he might, if it's not, if it's singular and it's S-H-I-T, it's a good thing. That's right. That guy is the shit, right? Yeah. But if you put a plural on it, it changes everything. I said, oh, he thinks it's, and he goes, no, no, he doesn't think it's gonna work. And it was, we were only 
one day in to the, or you know, we were a weekend because the week before, and we'll probably talk yeah. about this, uh, the big turn on Tommy Dreamer. We're one weekend, and the guy who needs to believe in the program has lost all faith in the program. You wrote, uh, Brian Gerwitz caught my initial verbal onslaught. God damn it, Brian, if I'd known you guys were going to water this thing down, I wouldn't have volunteered. You were at the meeting. You know the Kiss My Ass Club was the centerpiece of the whole damn thing. Otherwise, it's just another angle, and I didn't volunteer to turn heel and sacrifice seven years of goodwill with the fans to turn heel for a second-rate show. I've tried, I tried to plead my case for Vince's involvement in our angle. He understood my concerns but didn't agree with them, stating the need for him to not spread himself too thin by getting physically involved in two angles. I went in for broke. Vince, you know this whole thing hinges on your willingness to get physically involved. Without you, the Kiss My Ass Club, there is no angle. I don't want to go out there and give tough guy promos. I'm not that guy anymore. I wanted to create something great. I didn't want to come back and give up all the credibility I've earned with the fans just to get involved in something half-assed. Hell, maybe you guys should do the show without me. Yeah. And he said, and you said, Vince, let's make a deal. I'll agree to do the ECW show if you'll do my angle with Molina. So talk to me about. So, so yeah, he agrees to do it, but we do it after uh, the match with with Rick. I mean, the match with me and Edge leads to me and Rick. I think Michael Hayes got in touch with me and goes, hey, we really like what you're doing. Why not keep the ball rolling? Let's do this thing with Rick that we've really wanted to do for a, a couple of years, a few years. And I was amenable to that. And Rick and I did. I think we had a really good uh, I Quit match. Yeah. Um, just a little short of great. If I'd... Hmm. We had a few more minutes to tell that story. I would have considered it a great match, but it was certainly a very good match. Um, and then the next night I did what was really a watered down version of, uh, uh, of that angle. And the whole thing hinged around taking this big sacrifice and being willing to uh, kiss his ass to save her job. And she was great, she was in tears and everything. But to me, the result hinged on the way the words were said. Mick, you're fired. Like, looking in my eyes, but Vince was insistent on the, you're fired. That's the way Vince does it, you know? There was this one time with Stephanie, and I you know, love Stephanie and the world of her talents, but I said to Randy Orton in 2004, all right, the way you say it is, yes, Mick, you are my bitch. And then Stephanie came in and overruled me. Okay, Randy, when you do this, remember you get in Mick's face, you say, you are my bitch. It's like, R is the key word in that. And Stephanie's a great orator and a very good writer, because I've read her you know, personal writings, which was quite a, you know, quite flattering that she yes. would trust me with like her notebook of you know short stories and so she's a great writer that's just the way i would have preferred to do it and i think the way if melina had said to me mick you're fired and give me a chance for everyone to real for me to come to the realization at the same time the crowd does that i've been taken advantage of yeah. and played for a fool i thought that could have been really impactful and put some steam on them and then the next day when I was, or the next week when uh, the show came on, it was barely mentioned. And it was, you know, something I wish I had not done. And maybe, you know, I agreed to do the thing if Vince agreed to do the Kiss My Ass Club segment. And maybe it's not worth doing something that's watered down. Maybe if it wasn't going to be done right, I should have said, let's just, 
not do that at all, and I would have just done the best I could with the match. How was your relationship with the company have changed had you done that, do you think? Just said, no, I don't want to. If I'd, if I just said, no, I don't want to do it with Vince? Well, I still would have had to follow through with the uh, with the match. I wouldn't have walked down in the match. Yeah. I could go into it wishing I hadn't done it. So I don't think it would have hurt. You know, I mean, I you know, the kiss your kiss my ass club was a big part of the what the angle was supposed to be, and the fact that we did it six weeks later in a much uh, less important way. Uh, yeah, 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 if I had to do over, I would have changed a lot of things. First and foremost, I wouldn't have suggested the idea, and if I did have a um, a heel turn, it would have been with one of the top guys in the company. Well, I'm glad you said that because this is directly uh, from the newsletters at the time. One of the biggest and most beloved stars in WWE over the past 10 years turned heel on Monday, and it's possible the majority of TV viewers didn't even realize it. <laughs> on Raw on Monday, Mick Foley was scheduled to face Edge in a rematch of what Foley had declared a week earlier was the greatest hardcore match in history. There were promises of blood and gore and weapons being used. Jim Ross warned viewers that things could get graphic. And before the match, Foley announced that since Edge said it could be any kind of match he wanted, Foley was adding Tommy Dreamer into the mix, making it a three-way match. It seemed apparent from the lack of a reaction Dreamer received that the mass majority of the fans who made up the sold-out crowd in Anaheim didn't know who he was. In the past few years, Dreamer has moved on to become one of the most powerful second-tier players in WWE's Ooh. office staff, Oh, in the office, yeah. Okay. To uh, head of talent relations to Johnny Laurinaitis, Dreamer interacts with wrestlers on official business. He's also the person put in charge of the business end of the new ECW revival. He also has the power to book himself in a top position in the revived angle, something he promptly did by being the target of a surprise Foley attack. So the narrative here is that Tommy Dreamer booked himself into this spot. That is not the case. No. There was an no. assumption made there that's incorrect. Yeah, no, no. I was all for Tommy coming in. Right. That was my idea. So, again, I'm, I'm asking people to invest emotionally in Tommy Dreamer instead of a day. I'm just picking Batista as a guy. I could have jumped. Who's been on be, TV every week. There'd be no story needed. You just jump a guy. Yes. And then you cut a promo as to why you're envious of him. But you, being the hardcore fan, are like, well, I have this history with ECW. I have this Let's history. Get Let's original. get this rolling. I've got the idea in my mind. And, you know, you, you try to go to sleep and you can't sleep until you have a chance to tell your story. You believe it's going to be uh, done along the lines of what you laid out. And each week it starts taking a, a worse and worse detour. But I do think what Edge and I did to Tommy, even if people didn't realize it at the time, we would establish it as a good program with the promo I cut yes. on Terry Funk in Lubbock, which was one of my favorite promos. <coughs> Sorry for the burp. Um, and you hit Tommy with the barbed bar bat here. That's worth mentioning. With the barbed bar bat to the genitalia, right? Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> that. That was the beginning of what I would say the over-agenting and over-producing of matches. I won't say who our agent was because it won't speak well of the guy. But you're talking about a top talent in his day, like a legendary talent. And when he's going through the match, okay, what are you going to do? I said, at this point, you know, Edge and I would, it would just get some heat on Tommy. What kind of heat? Uh, I don't know. This is all stuff as a wrestler. Like, your heat is your heat, right? That's You get in there with your paintbrush, you start painting. You know, you know, they want you to do a uh, connect the dots and lay it all out. I was like, I don't know what we're, no, we need to know what you're going to do. I was like, three kicks from me and four from that. It's like they're overcomplicating things. Wow. But I do think that. And they wanted to know how many kicks. 
they would literally. How you many get, kicks? It was, yeah, well, how many? Wow. What kind of heat? What kind of, I, I don't know. So even though Edge and I both knew we're not going to adhere to what we said. You had to say something. We had to say something because that's clearly the way they wanted it done. It was like, and, and listen, just to play devil's advocate, from a production standpoint, they want the camera guys to be in the right yes. position. So I get that. But at the same time, man, let me do my thing. For the key moves, I yes. believe in, okay, this is going to be the key move. But the third kick or the, the fourth third kick? kick yeah, cares? it was too much. Just shoot it. it and uh, same agent had Edge and I for uh, a mania. And it was like, we don't need all this. We've got it here. The two of us have got it. You're not going to tell us, was it Michael Hayes or Arn Anderson? It's got to be one of those. Neither one. Wow. Neither okay. one, yeah. A short-lived agent, and I'm not going to give you the oh, answer. Oh, copy, yeah, copy. Yeah, all yeah. right. You said short-lived. That helps us. Uh, Wade Keller would write this. Foley's turn should have been a monumental moment in WWE history. Will fans turn on Foley because he attacked someone who is largely unknown? Does it matter how fans in Anaheim react when the target audience for the ECW pay-per-view isn't the same as the families who go to live Raw events in California? WWE management isn't concerned about either situation, rationalizing that while the location wasn't ideal, the time was right to run the angle. My vote would have been for Mick Foley to save his big heel turn for a big money WWE feud against the top babyface like John Cena, Triple H, or Batista. I think simply having Foley wrestle on the ECW pay-per-view for the first time would have been enough of a draw, especially if it was a match such as Foley and Terry Funk against JBL and Edge. In hindsight, you and Wade kind of agreed. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, 100% on the mark there. Uh, there is a line when you're turning on Tommy Dreamer where Lawler says, I wonder if he's taking too many chair shots to the head and it's affected his thinking. Little did we know that would become a really hot topic yeah. just one year later. Yeah, it sure would. Um, let's talk about the promo battle. It's you and Terry Funk You uh, <laughs> in the torch, it was said. In fact, at the very start of the interview, Funk said he knew I Foley attacked Tommy Dreamer last week. He was supposed to say he didn't know and wanted Foley to explain himself. He changed his phrasing in mid-stride, and it wasn't a major issue. But there were a few other times where Funk seemed to improvise and Foley wanted to stay on script. In the end, I was a bit thrown off because one second Foley was playing to the crowd for cheers, defending the honor and good name of WWE, while a second later bad-mouthing the town or state to draw boos from the fans. So you're, well, tr you're, you're, you're trying not, to be a heel to an ECW. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a delicate waltz. Is uh, it too complicated? In hindsight, I don't think so because I think the proof is in the pudding. Is that it did a good, yeah, a surprise. Everyone was surprised they at all the rating. It would be it did. way down, right? So the again, just to, the first time is nostalgia. Yes. Third time tanks even with eight months of dedicated ECW TV. And the second time does almost what the first time did. Yeah, not bad. And I, so I think people did get into the storyline. I think not only the promo I did with Terry, where we all right, maybe you don't understand everything, but that's reason to tune in. And yes. B, these guys don't like each other, right? And my rationale for, uh, for being angry at Terry, and it was something that genuinely hurt my feelings, is that Terry was going to be, he was the first guy I wanted to be in the ring for my hardcore celebration. Um, in 2003. Yeah, 2003. And then Stephanie had to break the news to me. Mick, Terry, Terry wanted a lot of money to come in. I understand now because I was 30, 40 at that time and Terry was the age I am now. I think I was 38 at that time. And Terry was my age. And it's like, I just can't. I have to tell people I can't come in 
for one day. Like, just try to understand, that's a three-day trip. So Terry, from from where he lived, and you know, outside of Amarillo in Canyon, Texas, to go to Madison Square Garden would have to that way you connect through Dallas. But it's it's two days of travel, one day of working for one payoff, and that's a lot of time and a lot of work. But for me, the hurt I felt when I found out that Terry didn't just give up everything and take a plane to be there at the garden, it hurt my feelings. And I just held on to that and then, which is not emotionally healthy, but it's the way I cut some good promos. And I let that kind of fuel that promo to where I said, I don't care if it's the last thing I do, I'm gonna find a way to search out your grave. Yeah, I'm gonna, they'll pee on your grave, which Cornette has now taken at a new level. A whole new level. A whole new level. I do wanna just mention, you know, uh, we don't talk a lot about money on this program, but I would imagine Terry Funk never made just the hero's ransom that wrestling would grow no. to pay. Like the pay scale was way different back yeah. then for the NBA, for the NFL, and certainly WWE. WWE by this point in 2003, when you're being honored, is now a global property. Yeah. Whereas it really wasn't right. before. I mean, certainly there were territories all over, but he never probably enjoyed the series of payday. So I'm sure a lot of people will hear that and and think less of him. But at the same time, there's a lot of great archival stuff that WWE has and has made a ton of money on a business he was a part of. And he probably felt like, hey, they got it. Give me a payday. But I could see how it hurts your feelings. Too. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, look, I was just uh, called into action. Not sure if I'm supposed to talk about this. To do something commemorating uh, a special event. Hell in a Cell okay. uh, for WWE TV. Yes. And it happened to be on a day that I'm going to be with my family. Yes. And it was like, oh, man, you know, if it wasn't The Undertaker, right. I'm probably not getting on that plane because now I'm giving up two and a half days yes. of my time uh, and greatly altering the family vacation. vacation so that I can do this thing. Um, and if it, wa- if it wasn't The Sal, if it wasn't Undertaker, you know, I wouldn't be doing it. So I, I don't blame Terry, and I understood completely. And even when I in, tried to get him to come to uh, TNA when I was there, he just told me, Cactus, it's just too far to travel. It's nothing personal. It was just too far, and you set a price which makes sense, yes. at which it makes sense. You know, I did have one, you know, uh, an auto show coming up in Syracuse where I just told my agent, oh, my God, I don't want to go. Give him a high figure. Just give them something they're not going to go for. And they went for it. It's like, okay, they have met my threshold for making the inconvenience, inconvenience, you know, which doesn't mean I won't be happy to be there and give people a good experience. But as you get older, you have to pick and choose. And that's my biggest regret. My biggest regret that night is that I was basically just, okay, I'd love Terry Funk to be there. Outside of that, WWE was free to tell me who was at my celebration. And they were people that I had interacted with during the course of my career, you know, and especially, you know, for the hardcore title in WWE. So it was Al Snow and it was Rob Van Dam and it was Hardcore Holly. We didn't invite Crash. And he took that very personally. It hurt him badly. I wish that had I known or even been thinking about it, I would say, hey, how about we put Crash Holly in the mix? But I hadn't worked with Crash, you know, in I'd done a couple of tags. Um, but you don't, you know, I wasn't 
wasn't thinking along those lines. I wish I had been, because I think his last thoughts of me were negative thoughts. Uh, did you ever have a heart-to-heart and discuss that with Funk or no? Yeah, we did. We did. Um, and so I just realized I'm going to recapture the way that I did feel when my feelings were hurt and let that out. And I thought it was a really good promo where even if all the questions weren't answered, we definitely, I think, created some interest. When Funk tried to talk, Foley told him, this is my WWE ring. These are my WWE fans. The crowd could sense Foley was supposed to turn heel, but he seemed to have a right to be upset with Funk, and he was talking with pride about WWE. And then Foley turned the crowd against him by overreacting to Funk snub by saying he plans to show up at his funeral so he can spit on his grave. He called Funk a greedy, selfish, miserable son of a bitch. Funk's response, I'm going to John Wayne your ass. I'm going to beat the hell out of you. This is fun stuff. Um... What did Vince think of this execution, you and Funk in the ring doing this promo? I think he liked it, but uh, he'd already made up his mind. Uh, I don't know at which point they they decided to have uh, uh, Lita and Beulah in the match. Well, there is going to be a low blow from Lita that's going to take (laughs) Funk down. You and Edge are going to double team him. And it all comes to a head when he looks right at you. He being Funk and says, WWE sucks. And and you just went after him. This is because this is what we're doing. We're paying homage to uh, the promo no one will ever see in the uh, October to the November to remember is preceded by the October to forget, which was the fire incident. Yes. But Terry actually got me to come out from back in the dressing room where I said I could no longer wrestle because my hand was injured by going, Cactus Jack, your your mother is a whore. Your wife is a whore. Your children are all whores, and there's no sign of cactus. And he goes, and Eric Bischoff is a homo, and boom, out I come. Because the word homo was funny, right? Yes. And it's like, okay, he won't stand up for his family. You're right. (laughs) But But you're not going to disperse Eric Bischoff's name. Because by that time, I was kind of riding that horse, which is the fans, they they hate Bischoff. Honestly, they don't. You know, and so I and I when I was doing the heel promos for ECW back in '95, it was like if Sid Vicious were to show up, you'd get down to your hands and yes. you know, and they absolutely would. Yes. Um, but I was kind of riding that horse, and so we just substituted instead of Eric Bischoff's a homo, uh, just WWE sucks. So again, I won't react to the belittling of my family, but brother, don't you insult WWE. So the match is set up now, uh, and of course the other match on the card besides Funk and Dreamer against you and Edge is Rob Van Dam and John Cena, and this is going to be such a special moment yeah. for Rob Van Dam. Oh sure. Um, was what was your expectation going into this second one night stand? Did you think, man, this is going to be hard to top last year? It's impossible. Let's just not stink the joint out. No, I was going for broke. Okay, and that, that was among the most nervous I'd ever been before a match. I really questioned whether I belonged there. And I, uh, leading in the go-home week, I think I did one of the self-inflicted hard ways. Uh, And even though it was only a trickle of blood, it it swelled up my eye pretty good over the next few days. And you start getting the draining of the blood. And it was a major black eye. And uh, at that time, my son Mickey was singing in the church choir. So when we went to 
the Father's Day. So I believe this show, the ECW One Night Stand Part 2, did take place on Father's Day. So it's in New York City, so I'm capable of driving in. I was living in Long Island at the time. And Mickey's up there, and he goes, mm, I don't really want to be here. <laughs> but buddy, we've been rehearsing and all this. He's got this little stuffed uh, animal with him, and he's like, can you stand with me? And so you have a bunch of kids, and there I am holding Mickey's hand. <laughs> the black eye. <laughs> just, this is great. Uh, it is great scenario. So when I realized that I'm in a similar situation, I turned to Edge and I go, "This was probably a mistake." <laughs> I love it. So I don't. I don't really want to be here. Which is the way I felt. Yes. Because I'm having serious second thoughts. You know, I didn't even prime. We're going to use fire, but I didn't even like get soaked down. My hair was dry. Oh. You know, like I wasn't as prepared as I should have been, but I remember trying to get into that zone and I was just having a lot of trouble getting into that zone prior to the match. But I believe I'll be the only guy who's going to do a major death match type of situation going. This was probably, oh, that, you know what, that was, that line comes from when I'm a senior in high school, the only year I ever wrestled, right, amateur. Kevin James is the starting heavyweight, but when you do your tournaments, you know, you can have a second heavyweight. And as time went on, Kevin got a back injury. I went into that uh, starting position and uh, did okay for myself for a first-year wrestler. Beat some notable guys, you know, I had no business even being there with, let alone beating. Uh, but a guy comes up. In a tournament, I'm trying to get in the the getting in the getting into the zone there, and my opponent comes up to me, and he goes, "This really isn't for me." Oh my goodness! I <laughs> he love that. Confiding in me that he didn't really want to go out for the team, but his parents talked him into it, and I was like. Is he putting me on? Is he trying to mess with my head? Right. And so I was no powerhouse by any means, and I wasn't particularly good on my feet at all. I was good from the referee's possession on either offense or defense. Uh, but I was able to take that guy down in fairly rapid order and chalk up a quick pinfall. Because I was like, what am I going to do? Have empathy for him in the right. situation he's Or am I going to try to pin this guy? But I was kind of channeling his spirit at first by going, yeah, this was probably a mistake. That's very uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, and then grabbing Mickey's line, like, I, I don't really want to be here. <laughs> of course, before we get to the show, you present Edge with the hardcore title. Oh, yeah. We're going to share it. I love that. Talk to me about, did you have that belt, or did they just keep it? I'm just I, wondering, like, I don't you know bring what, that from home? I don't know if I traveled with it or not. Because it was enough of a hassle, like to have the uh, the winged eagle belt, where you know the current. This is what it was like every day we'd travel. Uh, well, Joey, we got a problem here, and I go, it's not a bandsaw. We got a bandsaw because of the way the winged eagle. Then yes. they would open it up. They'd see it was a title belt. They'd yeah. take, try it on, take photos. Uh, but these jagged shards of metal, uh, I think that belt was considered uh, could be considered a weapon. And so I believe they transported it from town to town. I believe that was the case. I could be wrong. You even mentioned here in this promo where you're presenting Edge with the hardcore title. Um, you get a little dig at Flair, which is it's clear at that point you've made the decision. We're to work with Rick, yeah, with yeah, Flair. yeah. 
where you're talking about, you know, I've been categorized as a glorified stuntman, but the person who wrote that, his claim to fame at WrestleMania was not getting killed in a ladder match. <laughs> so a nice little dig. If you knew, you knew. Yeah. Uh, so clearly you had that in the back of your mind. Um, and then Heyman's going to interrupt. And he says he finds it ironic that he sees live prostitution on Monday Night Raw. <laughs> And he starts a ho, ho, ho chant. <laughs> and Heyman said he wasn't talking about Lita. He's talking about Foley. Cards on the table, Mick Foley. You're a prostitute. Here you are, a legend, a man who gave his blood, his sweat, his tears, his sacrifice to entertain each and every one of these people. Here you are, a man who took time away from his family to entertain these people. And you prostitute, prostitute yourself away from them for Edge and Lita. You prostitute their love and admiration for them. And, uh, this is a good promo and you haven't had a lot of opportunity to really go back and forth on the mic with, with Heyman in your career. Yeah. And I think everybody listening to this considers him one of the best of all time. Right. What was this like for you? It was a lot of fun. I'm going to jump to after the promo when Kurt Angle goes, is that, is that true about you prostituting yourself? I said, actually, Kurt, this match is going to cost me a lot of money. Because by that time, I believe it's not going to be what it could have, and I'm just wishing I just jumped Batista from behind. Right. Um, but I did enjoy, I did enjoy the back and forth with Paul. But one thing I remember specifically is like, hey, he's got to get the upper hand here and make a valid point. I don't want to be the heel insisting I get the last word in or the cool word in. And I think that's something that's missing sometimes is that the right people in WWE are not necessarily willing to take one for the team and have someone one-up them on the microphone. Right. Uh, I think a good promo should make someone think about their 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 actions, uh, recent actions. And then when they make a conscious choice to do the wrong thing, to me, that's a more meaningful type of heat. Yes than just being uh, not worried, not selling the words that are coming your way. And so, yeah, I think it was my first time to really go back and forth with Paul, and I enjoyed it. It's really fun. Of course, it's setting up the big match. It's making it official here. Uh, you're saying, you don't even have any power. You don't own this company. You lost your company, blah, blah, blah. So really good stuff. And you write in the diary, a, file, a fire was officially lit today. A fire lit under my ass, that is. Today, after a mid-afternoon phone call with Brian Gerwitz, Gerwitz. Gerwitz, I was informed that the tag team match at One Night Stand was being turned into an eight-man tag match. An eight-man? Not even a six-man? Why? Person. Apparently because Terry Funk had some trouble getting down the ring on Monday night, including a near fall on the ramp, leading to speculation that he might not be physically up to the big main event. So instead of taking a chance that one of the greatest performers of all time would be able to defy Father Time and Mother Nature for one night... A decision was reached to sabotage all the hard work, emotion, and planning that had gone into booking the angle in exchange for four more bodies. Brian, at this point, the angle doesn't even resemble what I suggested. Tell Vince his idea sucks, is what you reply. And he says, it's just that, Brian said. It's just what? Well, Vince is concerned that Terry, that Terry what? He won't be able to work a good match. Why? Because he nearly tripped? Well, kind of. It was time for me to go into full Funker defense mode. It wasn't enough that we'd proved the naysayers wrong in Lubbock with one of the most compelling promos of the year. Now I was going to have to make a case for the greatest wrestler I'd ever seen. Sure, he's 60 and broken down, but so is Vince McMahon. 
Look, I know Terry's knees are bad, I conceded. They've been bad for 20 years. They were bad when we used to tear down the house in Japan 11 years ago. His back is bad, too. It was back. It was bad in 89 when he was working with Flair and had a cracked sacrum. He'd, go, he'd gone out of his seat and taken off after his knees, leaning over the seat the entire flight. And then he'd go out and tear the house down mm-hmm. every night. So you're cutting it straight to the bone here. Back to one night stand. No eight man, but Vince does want to change. He wants Lita on our team and Tommy's wife, Beulah on theirs to make it a mixed intergender six person match. I think it will work. Even if I concede this point to Vince, I consider the battle a victory. So an eight man, an eight man. Yeah. Eight man. I want to point out if it seems like I'm being a pain in the butt, brother, Everyone who's ever been anyone, with the exception of Daniel Bryan, he's the exception that proves the rule, has been perceived as a pain in the butt for going to bat for the things they believe in. Nothing wrong with it. You you have to pick your battles. That wasn't me all the time. And when I came and did the angle with Randy Orton, it was like everything was flowing and it was going according to plan and even better. They would make suggestions that improved the uh the angle but staying true to the the original vision and this was just a really really frustrating experience for me the uh the next week on raw you get to have a real debate on camera with paul Heyman, and of course it's it's talking about the relaunch of ecw this has got to be a real vote of confidence for you because you're launching a third brand, maybe one of the most beloved brands in right. wrestling history. It just set a record the year before. Here's the guy who was sort of the evil genius mastermind behind yeah. it all. And of all the people he could be in the ring working this over with, it's you. That's a cool thing, though. <laughs> the reason I'm laughing is uh, one of the lines got ixnayed because when Paul talked about Van Damme's love for ECW, my retort was going to be, my own life. Of course, he loved it. He was high. <laughs> they shut that one down. They shut that one down. But they said I could go with. Well, of course, he loved it. At the time, Rob truly was a high flyer. So, so it's not go, as funny, but it's still going good. back a few years. You know, I'm not. I'm not real close with Rob. I've known him for years, and I think the guy is. It's incredible what he still continues to be able to be done. You know. So, but I don't. Can't say I know Rob really well. But uh, when we were in Portland, the first time WWE was back in Portland in say 20 years, it had something to do with the commission. Um, Rashid Wallace who was a great Portland trailblazer, always led the league in technical fouls, but was an amazing shooting big man. He was front row, and it happened to be the night he found out he was traded while sitting front row at the WWE show. And Rashid Wallace had had a little problem with the weed, you know? Yeah. And so when I gave my promo, it may have been at the end of the night. It may not have been for TV, I said, Rob Van Dam, for being so good, I'm going to let you go back to Rashid Wallace's locker and take whatever you find. And it gets a big pop, and Rod, Rob comes up to me, and she goes, hey, dude, like, does he smoke a lot of pot or something? Like that? Yeah, that's exactly it. He goes, oh, okay, cool. Uh, but but line. the line, yeah, of course Rob loved it. He, he was, was high. high. Is a little better than he was a high flyer. <coughs> high flyer. 
Uh, here's the weird thing. At the end of this debate, Kurt Angle comes out and attacks you. He dies. I, it, wh- why? doesn't make I don't any know. sense, right? I think Vince wanted to teach me a lesson. It's weird WWE because punishments. Stuff. He told Kurt to be really rough on me. And Kurt uh, like headbutted me like three times for real. And at that time, I had like one of my ligaments was holding on by a thread. Like I was, and I didn't have knee braces on. I'm not prepared for this. And I got hot at Vince. I was like, you know, and I laid out the different things. Like, why? So did you know Angle was coming? I can't remember if I knew he was coming. I didn't know he was going to light into me like that, especially because I was in the impression. So did you ask Kurt, like, hey, what the hell? And And he he said, said, Vince Vince told me he wanted me to rough you up or words to that effect. He wanted me to be rough on you. Oh, God. Yeah. I am. So the only thing I can arrive so to is... So if you stand up for yourself, this is what might happen. <laughs> if you argue for your creative, yeah. uh, an Olympic gold medalist might come down and whip your ass. Yeah. Now, that what you don't tell is when we went off the air, brother. I took oh, him yeah. down, sugared him, put him in, got we the top. Yeah, we know that. Well, they've uh, had to erase that footage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The only way you would have stood a chance on that is if you had a Henson razor. I mean, let's be honest. These things are so damn sharp. It's the I just shaved. Razor. I just shaved last night. Dry. I do it dry, brother. I'm not saying if you're it's not. It's better if it's wet. Yeah, I don't think so. This thing is so. I took a pole. It's better if it's wet. Uh, seriously, <laughs> we all have our opinions on how to use Henson shaving. Don't talk no about your pole on my. <laughs> yeah, uh, he had a ball. This big. What are we doing anymore? We've been recording too long. Hey, the Henson shaving is the real deal, guys. Mick and I absolutely love it. I've seen Tickle Mick the dry phantom shave. white balls. Tickle, Tickle the, the phantom, phantom white balls. Tickle. By the way, you might actually get a little tickling if you're smooth thanks to Henson shaving. You see, this wasn't the original idea. Mick, you might not know this. There's a little trivia for you. Uh, I, I've got a friend who, who unfortunately is no longer with us. But he used to say that Pringles was supposed to be a tennis ball company. And instead of bringing rubber balls, they brought potatoes. And he said, fuck it, cut them up. And they just sold. Okay, not really. But these guys (laughs) at Henson Shaving, they made parts for the International Space Station. And now they make razors. Hear me out here. They use aerospace-grade CNC machines to make metal razors that are just .0013 inches. That's less than the thickness of a human hair. It means a secure and stable blade, which gives you a vibration-free shave. It's also got built-in channels to evacuate hair and cream. That's going to make clogging virtually impossible. This is the best razor I've ever used. It's the last razor I'll ever own. We're all used to if something is better, it costs more. This is one of those rare circumstances where it's better and it's somehow cheaper. These guys didn't want the best razor business. They wanted the best razor. There's no plastic. There's no subscriptions. There's no proprietary blades. There's no planned obsolescence. And it uses the standard dual edge blade that, well, every wrestler is familiar with. So it gives you that old school feel, but the benefits of new school tech. You see, Pop Pop never had a razor that was just 0.0013 inches. And how about this? When it's time to replace the blades, it's only 3 to $5. Not 3 to $5 a week, not 3 to $5 a month, 3 to $5 a year. So let's say no to subscriptions, and let's say yes to a razor that will last you a lifetime. Visit HensonShaving.com slash Foley to pick the razor for you and use the code Foley, and you'll get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just be sure to add them to your cart. That's 100 free blades when you head to H-E-N-S-O-N-S-H-A-V-I-N-G.com slash Foley and use the promo code Foley. 
And if you have it in your backpack or your fanny pack and Kurt Angle attacks you, it could come in handy. Could come in handy. I, you know, uh, I, I try to call him like I see him. Yeah. Uh, my wife has banished me from using Blue Chew, so that is a testament to its effectiveness. Absolutely. But I do, I really enjoy using this. Yes. And I come in, and I, I always was a guy, I mean, for years and years, I'd let my beard grow in for two, two, three weeks, and then I'd shave it with a buzzer. Yes. But I never got in there. I really didn't like it. And if I tried to take on my beard that was anything more than four or five days old with a disposable razor, it, it was an issue. And this stuff, it's really easy, it's quick, I enjoy it, and I'm spending a lot of more time, my time clean shaven than I have in my life. So try it dry or try it wet, but just give it a try. Hensonshaving.com slash Foley. So listen, the Kurt Angle thing, I don't, uh, I don't understand how that happened. And you wrote in your book, I said, Vince, why would you tell Kurt to take me down without telling me? No, oh, yeah, I didn't know about hanging yeah. on by a thread. Vince, however, didn't know my knee was hanging on by a thread. I just think this is, um, I don't know. This is maybe one of my favorite Vincent Rand stories of all time. Like it feels like there would have been some communication, but it's got to be you pitching these ideas, and it's just annoying him. So hey, let's. I guess right because Kurt was not part of the storyline for the uh, show. Maybe he's in. I, I don't know. It made no sense to me at all. According to Vince, Kurt was never told ahead of time to do so without my knowledge. Is anyone out there skeptical besides me? I'm taking Vince at his word, but nonetheless, I'm going to be a little bit more cautious from this point going forward with Kurt, with Flair, with Vince. It's bad enough that my ideas have been screwed with. So you're just letting it all hang out in the book here. Oh man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, from a business standpoint, one night stand could have been the worst decision I ever made by throwing away my most valuable commodity, the trust of the fans. I've probably cost myself a huge payoff that a well-promoted dream match could mean. My one night stand payoff would probably be less than a 10th of that possible payoff yeah. making me quite possibly the world's most naive whore. <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for a descriptor in your Nick Foley biography, perhaps oh, self-described. Hey, you know, we've all done things just for the money, right? Yes. And I'm specifically talking about this appearance at the car show. It's just for the money. I love the convention. I really do love being at conventions. Yes. I love signings. But uh, I do, you know, there is a payoff involved. Whereas this angle was so pure of heart, I really just wanted to do something special. And I realized going in that Tommy and Terry were not the perfect guys to be doing it with, but I thought we could really make a difference. And so it was a really ambitious storyline that was not done with money in mind, but like, the, you know, uh, the art of telling a good story. That was my, that was my incentive. We're going to see Kurt Angle start cutting promos on you. Uh, eventually we're even going to see edge who has uh, you and Lita in his corner, big Tommy dreamer where they have Terry Funk in his corner. And before the match edge said, Foley is hardcore Edge surprised Foley with a cactus Jack promo on ECW TV in 1995. It was a reference to Foley's past where he rejected ECW and hardcore dreamer bought a barbed wire bat to the ring and caused edge to back out of the ring. They're even involving like Taz and JR on commentary here, getting at each other yeah. where Taz says something like go write, go write another book about barbecue sauce and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and then you have a big promo, um, 
your eyes swollen, mm-hmm. you're seated in the ring. They There's give me the overhead spotlight. Yep. Yeah. Just on you. Where the hell do any of you get off telling me I sold out? Where do you get off? Where do you find the nerve to call me a whore? You think I hate ECW? I love that place. I love that place. But ECW simply didn't love me back. She was like the girl I can't let go of. But the one who makes me sick upon seeing her. She wanted too much blood, too much of my heart, too much of my life. This is a good promo. It's a good promo. Um, After this initial rocky start, we didn't get off the way we wanted to. Do you feel like Brian and Vince and everybody's yeah. acquiescing a little more? Uh, yeah, and I think it had some. Well, Brian always believed in me. You know, Brian was a lot of times the bearer of bad news. So I imagine in those meetings, Brian was sticking up for me. But I have to believe that, you know, kind of my resiliency about this angle was finally like a war of attrition where Vince is like, oh, let's just push the damn thing. And so in the end, it did come together. Not as well as it could have if we had done it, you know, the right way from the beginning. Um, but when we get to the finish of this match in the aftermath, I think the, that's the most important view I have to share. We're not there yet because we haven't talked about the match at all. But make sure I hit you with, like, my takeaway from all this, which is... This whole uh, match with you in the corner and Funk in the other corner and all that, and then this promo with you seated in the ring... This isn't on Raw. It's not on SmackDown. They run a special, a WWE versus ECW special. In hindsight, do you wish that was on Raw? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the actual match itself. Uh, here we are. You're going to come out first to the ring. The crowd's not really sure how to react. And you say, okay, I admit, I sold out. I sold out Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and he set up a huge compliment on Paul Heyman and then pulled the rug out from under the fans by complimenting Stephanie McMahon as the visionary behind the ECW Alliance <laughs> angle in 2001. We all know that sucked. Edge comes out with Lita. He said everyone in the building was going to go home and pleasure themselves looking at pictures of Lita. I think you're all pathetic. Lita called Tommy Dreamer the innovator of silence which is such a great line. (laughs) She said Tommy Dreamer wasn't getting any hanging around that skank. Immediately, Beulah McGillicuddy walks out with Tommy Dreamer and Terry Funk. She challenged Lita to make it a three-on-three match. We all know how much you like threesomes, she said. And they were pulled apart. This is a great way to set it up. It's a little silly, but it really works. Yeah, it did work. They pulled it off. And it allows, when we get to the finish, uh, hopefully you'll quote me here uh, about... Edge's chosen way to finish that match, but we have to go through the match first. The match is uh, 18 minutes, and um, you're brawling on the outside to get started. There's a barbed wire board that slides into the ring. Um, they're going to drop Tommy Dreamer into it. He starts selling, but as he's trying to roll away, it's sticking to his hair. <laughs> uh, you guys are going to lift him again, but Funk is going to trip trip you guys, and now it lands on your heads. Um, we know that that you have had your fair share of hardcore matches and certainly funk and dreamer have a lot of experience in that regard. How was edge to put together a hardcore Uh, with all the gimmicks and what he was great uh, because he'd wanted to do so much in the match at mania and he didn't want anyone walking away saying, I, uh, he edge, you know, he was, uh, he was the only one looking out for himself. So he was all in, man. He was all in. He was on top of the world. Like I was talking about Seth Rollins being at that perfect intersection where Edge was, where he just made everything he was part of better, a lot better. 
you uh, you grab a piece of that barbed wire, start going after Funk, just like in Memphis. He starts yelling, "My eye, my, my eye. eye!" Great stuff. <laughs> uh, the crowd here starts to chant, "We want Sandman." And it's written here to fill time while Funk was in the back. Lita leg dropped a barbed wire baseball bat across Dreamer's crotch. Foley pulled out Mr. Sacco and then put the mandible claw on Beulah. That set off Dreamer, but Edge cut him off. Foley put the claw on Dreamer. Edge hit him with the spear. Edge grabs Beulah and positions himself behind her. Lita's going to trash talk her. And eventually, Funk comes back out covered in bandages with a barbed wire bat raised in the air. Beulah set it on fire. Funk swung and hit Foley's gut uh, and then is back. Funk knocks Foley off the apron onto the barbed wire table on the floor. Foley was sprayed with a fire extinguisher and then Edge. Yeah, because uh, that, that shirt went up. I didn't, big time. Big time. Yeah, it could have been bad. So luckily they uh, put me out and my hair wasn't, I mean, that was my own, that was on me. I, I wasn't thinking and I did not uh, take the proper precautions. So it didn't turn out bad, but it could have for sure. Back in the ring, Beulah is going to attack Lita. Joey Styles is, of course, going to yell catfight. That was a staple back then. <laughs> and uh, Dreamer is going to yank Lita off of Beulah, hit her with the Death Valley driver. Edge is going to choke Dreamer from behind with the barbed wire. Edge spears Beulah with Dreamer out cold on the mat. He mounted Beulah and pinned her with her legs behind her head. Did I give the... Did I make the... Uh the comment in a manner that even Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger would have found objectionable. Wow. <laughs> like he really just... <laughs> oh, it was quite the thing. I mean, Rhea Ripley has certainly borrowed from that in some of her matches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he was putting on quite a show here. Um, Edge is going to celebrate as Funk is cut free from the barbed wire with the wire cutters. Dreamer carries Beulah out of the ring. During the match, Funk was on his game, and Edge was the star. It was a train wreck aesthetically, but the crowd ate it up and delivered what everyone would have expected. It felt excessive and dated at times, but also nostalgic. I mean, this was it is a different time. In 1994, 5, or 6, ECW fans would have just totally ate yeah, that up. Yeah, oh, yeah. We're trying to give them what they remember, what they loved, what they grew up on. With a twist, because it's three of your same characters, but now a new and one. I think edge. Meltzer, in good conscience, felt like he couldn't give it a star rating, but he said it was exactly what it should be. Um, well, he gave it a star rating. He gave it two and a half stars. That was it? I just didn't want to say that, because I thought, nah, nah it's it was a lot better right than that. Home. Of course it Sorry, was. Sorry, it was a lot better than that. It was. Um, my main takeaway, though, is when, you know, it's the real barbed wire, and I'm badly lacerated in both hands yours yeah mine and as i'm laying there my one thought is how am i going to wipe my ass oh that was my thought and my friends it was a difficult difficult situation it would be for you know about 10 days you know you get those bad wounds in your hand they hurt like hell you got to wrap them up yeah that was pretty that was pretty difficult um did you get a washlet installed like lanny poffo or did you just a what a washlet like a bidet attachment. No, oh no, I should have, right? Yeah, yeah save the save the paper. No, I did not have that option. Plus, I was on the road, right? But yeah, I think two and a half is a little stiff. I think it was. Uh, I thought it was really good for what it needed to be. I mean, listen, not to be too graphic or gross here, but just last week you talked about how you get rid of stinky balls. So I feel like <laughs> we're on a good roll. How do you wipe your ass if you have gaping wounds in your hands? Very delicately. 
Now they have uh, a tools for the larger man. Wait, there's a tool? Yeah, there's a tool. I'll bring it in. Uh, I got it for myself for Christmas and said it was from Santa. I, I think don't think you have knew. to bring it in. But Maybe it's just, just I haven't used it yet. It's like an extension. Oh, it's brand new. Yeah, yeah it's, okay. I haven't <laughs> used it. I've not used Maybe it. Maybe not bring it in. And I believe that I could have used that, but it was just, it was, it was difficult. And everyone who's ever gone through some, an issue where they maybe have, uh, you know, car cast accident. Cast on your arm. Cast on both arms, you know, it's it's difficult. So whether you have a really understanding family member. I was going to say, like, like I understand that Mrs. Foley has probably nah, heeded the call of duty a few times. But this but is a nah, different kind of duty. That's above and beyond, yeah. That's this above is a D-O-O-D-Y. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> call of duty. So this here's, this is the takeaway, okay? Okay. The next day... I go into Vince and I go, Vince, he goes, yeah, Mick, I said, and he goes, I put, I go, I, he goes, well, let me see. Vince, he goes, all right, I was wrong. I said, and it was, he goes, it was very good. It was very good. And then I walked out of the office and I realized that in his world, this was just another cog in the wheel. I almost felt like Indiana Jones at the end of Indiana, or not, he wasn't there, but when you see that this, uh, uh, the Lost Ark is just one in thousands of artifacts and it's mm. being filed away, probably never to be seen again. And I don't think Vince has given this match a second thought, but if you yeah. read the book, it's something that I labored over and you know put so much of myself into and I wasn't able to, again, this goes back to the Bret Hart Foundation, that should it have bothered me as much as it did? No. But if things like that didn't bother me, am I sitting here doing a podcast about things that took right. place, you know, 17 years and longer ago? No, absolutely not. So uh, I'm glad that I went to bat with a, you know, with a unusual match, you know. My, you know, yeah, I would have made a lot more money if I just... Uh, uh, randomly attacked a top guy with no explanation whatsoever, but I really wanted to tell the story. I thought Tommy deserved that spotlight, and I thought people should be reminded about what Terry Funk had done for the business. Iconic wrestler Kevin Von Erich just announced his first public tour. The show, titled Stories from the Top Rope, will feature Von Erich sharing insight into his career personal triumphs and tragedies stories from the top rope will go on sale June 2nd at emporiumpresents.com and will offer a very limited number of VIP tickets, which include a meet and greet and photo op Von Eric now 65 will be the subject of a major motion picture iron claw, which stars Zac Efron and is slated for release later this year. See Kevin Von Eric live September 1st in Dallas, September 2nd in San Antonio. September 3rd in Corpus Christi, September 5th in Houston, September 6th in Shreveport, September 8th in Oklahoma City, September 9th in Amarillo, and September 10th in Midland. Tickets on sale at EmporiumPresents.com. And it helped Edge. It did help Edge. It helped Edge. It helped Tommy Dreamer. It helped Terry Funk. It helped ECW. The only person who wasn't better off for having done this was you right yeah but i gave him my best and again yes. you know life's about taking your swings and i don't think we struck out you know i think we made solid contact and did a good match 
uh, and that it was part. Do you have the buy rate there? Do you have those I don't numbers? Have it in front of me. I know they were shockingly similar, but a little less than what the first year had been. And without the third year tanking, I don't think you can fully appreciate how big a deal it is to do almost as well as that first one night stand. You think when it was all over uh, that the lasting memory is John Cena and Rob Van Dam more so than this? I mean, this show uh, did three hundred and four thousand buys. It's a good buy rate. I mean, Long that good. is a that is a really strong buy rate. And to your point, you know, the night or the year before, um, it was it was more. Yeah. But, but I mean, three hundred thousand buys, like. Nobody gets that. And the days. next year, I think they were well down below. Way, 100. way down. Way down. 325,000 the first year, 304,000 the second year. And to your point, man, it's just, it's off a cliff by 2007. Do they have uh, a number there? Yeah, we'll find that one. Okay. 180,000. Yeah, not as bad as I thought, but Still all way, way down. Yeah, when you drop buys. by 5% or 7% one year and then by 45 or whatever it is. Yeah. That's a pretty major. It's a pretty major drop. Uh, Dino on Twitter says, "Make your promo on the ECW versus WWE show is maybe my favorite of your career, and that covers a lot of ground." How did that promo come about, and how did you so beautifully articulate the story you told in it? It's just the one with the uh, one light over my head. Yep. <sighs> I, honestly, I can't remember. I mean, I was just telling it the way I was taking feelings that were real. You know, everything I said about Terry Funk was legit. Uh, the way I felt um, about not being uh, about not being in it for the money, that was legit. And I thought it was a good promo, you know, and with swollen eye and a little streak of blood, I thought it was uh, thought it was pretty good. Eli says, this was one of the first times in a long time you had a heel run. Were you nervous on turning heel or was it exciting for you? I was really nervous about it. Uh, and I remember... Um, after I worked with Rick, uh, you know, I wasn't happy with the payoff, and I called up Vince, and I said, you know, something about Vince, like, I think this heel run, and he stopped, he goes, what heel run? And I go, all right, maybe not everyone took to me being a heel, but I think it was effective. And then he bumped me up considerably for the SummerSlam match with Rick. Um, I don't know about considerably, but somewhat. Um, Shawn Michaels had really... Um, he had really shown a light to me on the possibility of the short-term heel turn because he had turned heel on Hogan, and by the time the angle was over and everyone forgot he'd been a heel to begin with. Yes. And so I did feel like the goodwill I had accrued over those many years was going to come back. Right. And, and it did. In the same way that a lot of people don't even want to acknowledge in their head that Steve Austin was a heel, not that they want to, it's just their brains... Don't take them there when they think of Steve. And if you point out how funny he was, you know, with the Kurt Angle stuff, people remember that. But it's almost like that's not the Steve Austin we wanted to see, even though they enjoyed it while it was happening. So in their mind, they remember the Steve Austin uh, that was. And I thought going in, these people are going to be pretty quick to forgive. Right. And they were. Uh, a couple more, and then we'll wrap this one up. This is from Craig. He says, could the relaunch of ECW really have ever been a success under WWE Creative? Oh, man. You know, part of the problem was they were changing the rules as they went. It was kind of like uh, the XFL in that they were making changes. Uh, I, I think uh, Test had a really good match 
on ECW TV, but it was graphic. And uh, Rick had that really good match with Edge. Big Show had a really good match. And then I think Vince just got tired of the of the deathmatch stuff. Uh, this is my recollection of it. And it was kind of, then it became its own entity on uh, the uh, FX channel where they wanted a little bit of that spookiness brought in. And it, it was. Sci-fi. Yeah, sci-fi channel. It just, uh, it got watered down in a hurry. But at the beginning when Paul was in charge, yeah, I thought they were doing a good job. Blake Wharton says, does Mick think there was any way ECW could have been presented more like early NXT and it would have been more successful than the WWE CW version they did? Not a single ECW fan I knew expected it to be the ECW of 98, but we all felt betrayed when we got the Velocity version. Yeah, I mean, I had one, when I came back in 2007, uh, at that time they were putting, um, SmackDown was taped, but they had to go live for, uh, for ECW at 10 p.m. So that's somewhat akin to me of going to Yankee Stadium, watching the New York Yankees play, and they say, okay, that's been a great game. Now stay tuned for your Staten Island double-A Yankees. Like, that's what it's like. The fans didn't see ECW as an equivalent product, even though the company was trying to push it like it was. And I just think when you have people waiting, sometimes for 40 minutes for ECW to start, and you go out there that the the excitement's not there. Yes. So the night that I was expected to do my promo, uh, or did give my promo, Steve Austin comes up and he goes, hell, kid, you see that promo I cut last week? And I said, yeah, I did. He goes, was, and he jokes around about how awful it was and that there was no crowd enthusiasm. And then I go out there and the same thing comes to fruition. And I think I'm giving a promo about Sabu and how he never got his due. When we come back in, Sabu gives me a, a hug and he's got tears in his eyes. He thanks me so much. And uh, I said, geez, I wish you would have cried out there. At least somebody would have been responding. Yeah. And so I was laughing it off even then, but in Vince's mind, boom, sees that promo, comes to the conclusion that I don't connect with the audience anymore. And the plans they had for me in 2007 are just shelved. So I had made the decision to come back right after Mania instead of for Mania. And I remember the first week I, I, had, a, I had the book out, The Hardcore Diaries. And uh, the editor calls up and goes, I thought you were supposed to be talking about this book on TV. I said, I got sent home. And they said, she said, why? I said, Mr. McMahon doesn't think I connect with the audience anymore. She goes, don't connect with the audience. You're number seven on the New York Times list. So that's something where if you're coming to Vince McMahon with facts and anecdotes and the, you know uh, evidence to back up your beliefs, it will be dismissed in favor of the gut decision. And the gut decision has served him well over the years. Yes. But there have been probably countless times when it was wrong. It was wrong. And I just felt like, uh, man, that, I really went home. It took me about 20 takes to do one uh, Backstage promo, uh, my mojo was way off. You know, coming home, being sent home in 2007. Yeah. You know, being told I didn't connect with the audience anymore. That was that was pretty heavy. I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, next week we'll be talking about your relationship with uh, Terry Funk, and in two weeks, I can't believe it's here. We're going to talk about the 25th anniversary. All of right. Uh, join us in all the fun over on YouTube. It's Foley on YouTube.com. Be sure to check out our new swag. 
uh, including some silly stuff we probably shouldn't even talk about here on the program. <laughs> Foleyispodshirts.com. Love to have your interaction on Twitter. Mick is on Instagram, <laughs> at Real Mick Foley. And our show is at Foley is Pod. And uh, in, in the meantime, Mick, this weekend, dads are still looking for cameos, and I know exactly where to get them. Oh, it's the place to go, man. I love doing the... Uh, I love doing these cameos. I did have the one, uh, the one song, which I just love the, you know, it turned Happy Holiday into Happy Father's Day. In the interest of full disclosure, it's the same song I use for Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> and then I create the story of mankind traveling uh, to uh, with a unique assortment of gifts. It's just such a fun song to sing, yes. but I didn't want to get tired of my own song. So I've written a couple of other ones, and I just I love the idea of exceeding expectations. And, you do, and I ask people if they are on the fence, go to cameo.com uh, slash Mick Foley, not real Mick Foley, just slash Mick Foley, and look at the reviews I get as compared to reviews other people get. Yes, because people get a lot more, you know, passionate about their review, and they they point out that it just exceeded everything they thought. I talked to a guy literally yesterday. Uh, we were doing a Zoom for a new member who signed up over at adfreeshows.com, and he was telling me how much he loved your show, and it was his favorite show, and that he ordered a Father's Day promo for his dad Yeah. on Cameo, and he said, man, I don't know what I expected, but it was unbelievable. He spent six minutes on it, <laughs> and that is not normally the case. Yeah. Uh, I, I ordered... A cameo years ago for Grillo back here. Yeah. From the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. And it was about 12 seconds of, Dave, I hear you're a swell guy. Happy birthday. I'm Bret Hart. Uh, uh, well, it, was, it was fine. Yeah, it was fine. And it's what people expect. Yes. And that's great. And Brett gives people what they want and yes. they're really happy with it. And I just, I want to just go above and beyond. You do. I'm, I'm seeing that they have a leaderboard. Every day they tell you where you're on the leaderboard, and I'm nowhere near first on these things because there's a lot of YouTubers, yes. TikTokers, guys who are charging a lot less. And there is a, a guy, uh, a Buckley's his last name, UK comic, and he just kills it. But his promo, his videos are kind of short. He's giving people what they want, and it makes me wonder, should I have a different level for the people who don't want to spend as much and want the good one-minute message. Well, now, hang on now. Earlier in this program, we revealed that you even self-deprecated yourself in the Hardcore Diaries and referred to yourself as a whore. <laughs> so are you suggesting that maybe you have a front seat price and a back seat price? Maybe. Maybe. So <laughs> but it's only because, you know, it's only, like, there's another group. Uh, there's a couple of other companies out there. Uh, and I stopped doing promos, with, uh, videos with them because they don't have the technology to do well with the length of video that I, I do. And I finally, like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give people something half-assed. Half but a lot of times that's what they want. Yeah. And that's what, you know, and if they, if you can't, because look, when I, you know, when I, the one time I did 60 videos in one day, Chris, you know, December 2020, that's a full, that's an eight hour day. Yeah. Whereas for a lot of people, it's a one hour, you know, it's yeah. not a one hour, but they put about 25% of the effort because I kind of cue up the music and sometimes I learn songs and somebody uh, a few days ago, their write up was that they love uh, Laverne and Shirley and Golden Girls. So I learned the, 
one, two, you know, Shamil, Shabazel, Hassan Fever Incorporated. And I had mankind singing, give us any rule, we'll break it. We're gonna make those dreams come true, doing it our way. And that's like, you know, that's, a, it's, I'm not five, seven minutes extra multiplied by X number of things through the day. I'm putting a lot more out there than most yes. people are. And so I do wonder, maybe we can have some feedback, is if would people like a lesser one, you know? Could you label it that way too? I don't know. Like there could is you a say way. half asset. <laughs> half asset version. Half there the is price, if half you, you do have the option of paying more to put more verbiage in there that okay. you want covered. Some more verbiage is going to make a longer video. Um and I was thinking I could have a regular price to say, hey, if you want this, you know, you want the production and the characters and all those things, it's it's a it's a little bit extra. Supersize me. Yeah, supersize yeah. me. Well, check it out while it's still a good deal, and do it just in time for Father's Day. It's cameo.com, and then check out Mick Foley there. Also, be sure to keep up with Mick when he's coming to your town. RealMickFoley.com. And Mick, we'll be back next week talking about your favorite wrestler of all time, Terry Funk. Come on. I was just trying to see if we got in word that the Vermont show had been sold out because we we're doing this on the same day we did the last one. I don't think any tickets are left for my June 28th show. Not. They're not at this point. Uh, but I do have four comp seats in reserve, and those might go up for sale on the day of the show if okay. uh, my uh, friends don't arrive. Check it out, realmickfoley.com, and we'll see you next week talking about the hardcore legend, the... The uh, the OG of hardcore, if you will. Sure Middle-aged and crazy. Terry Funk. Fight Plus is the ultimate digital platform for live sports and entertainment, and they're now offering a free seven-day trial at tryfight.com. Fight Plus is packed with a premium live event schedule, over 1,000 hours of live action every year, and a library of more than 4,000 hours on demand, plus exclusive content you can't get anywhere else. Fight is a great partner of ours. They support us, so let's support them. Give that free seven-day trial a shot, and you'll be a member for life. That's tryfight.com. T-R-Y-F-I-T-E dot com. Hey, guys. Tony Schiavone. Need to call a timeout real quick. Wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling what happened when listeners for a while now about all the cool things happening over on adfreeshows.com. On the latest edition of Monday Mailbag, Mike Kyoto shares road stories of hanging with Taker and BSK. Yeah, we did. We played Dominoes. We played Beale Street. Called Trump. Uh, it's a card game. Uh, gin. You know, we used to play gin card games with them. Uh, dominoes. I used to go back in the back of the bus for BSK, roll up a couple fatties for him. <laughs> and they'd let me smoke one or two and they'd say, okay, Kyle, you got to go back up. The Podfather sat down with Ad-Free Shows members for a live edition of Ask Conrad, talking about the one thing that brings us all together. Uh, a guy who owns a trucking company in Vermont? How in the hell is he friends with a guy who does mortgages in Alabama? Wrestling brought us together. So uh, when, when we created this concept of Ad-Free Shows, I had no idea that a pandemic was right around the corner, but it did become like this weird support group. Not like in a bad way, not in a tragic or trauma way, just in a... Hey, it's a bunch of friends who can get together and bounce ideas and share their life with each other. That's just a small taste of what we've got waiting for you with four levels to choose from. See for yourself why Ad Free Shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at adfreeshows.com.